spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass for more years than I could dream of memory. I have walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins where it all came from to hold up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label. Hi, it's Andien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye bye spoken label hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house on a monday evening we're, we're speaking today one of my favorite writers and this is great because it's Obviously, we've got the wonderful Matt Nicholson with me today. Now, people may know us or not, but I'm going to out myself here. But my surname is Nicholson. And it was great when I met Matt a couple of years ago. I felt myself, it felt like the Nicholsons are in the house. And that always rules on me. So <laughs> now, Matt is a fantastic writer. He's currently done, just bought his fourth book out. So we'll talk about that primarily today. And Matt is from the outskirts of Hull. So obviously, Matt, how have you been keeping mates since the last time we spoke? Well... I've been surviving. I think that's about the best any of us can manage, isn't it? But um, I've been very lucky. It hasn't affected me too much other than, uh, you know, keeping me indoors. But, uh, yeah, I'm yes. glad to be out again now, though. Oh, yeah, completely. Same for me. Like, because uh, I, know, I know, obviously, like, you've got your own health issues like I have, and it impacted us both over the lockdown period in different ways. Did you and your wife manage to avoid getting COVID altogether, did you, over that period? So far, touch wood, yes. I mean, yeah. you never know whether you've had it without being tested, but um, uh, as far as we know, we haven't we haven't explicitly had the virus, no. Oh, good for you. We got it on um, Christmas Eve, actually, we did last oh. year. I <laughs> know. We'd gone over to see, go and see my wife's family, and then like, it was a case of, like, we got it on the Christmas Eve, been over to see mum, then we went over for a bite to eat in the evening, and and then on Boxing Day, I got the symptoms, so we had to basically oh. get, get a lift back home, so got back on what it means we could basically and it, that wasn't a pleasurable experience no i'm sure that's for sure but hey ho it is what it is of it now obviously we're here today like i said to talk primarily about your new book untanglement and i'm guessing first of all this book was wrote over the lockdown period for you really wasn't it yes it was pretty much so um i started putting poems together um after my last book and and um the lockdown just focused me on that really um it was on the back of um finishing a period of therapy as well so there was quite a lot quite a lot of ideas and stuff buzzing about as a result of that too so uh the book kind of started to happen as i started to untangle my brain um the poem started to come out a bit yeah i think lockdown for a lot of us really 
is a is forced quite a few poets out to be much more reflective, aren't they? So, and this book yours is certainly a very, very, very reflective book. And I said first, I said to you, Mike, I've definitely read at least one of your books. Well, I think it was the first one, and I found this was a really quite direct book. It was, and was it that planned that way when you first started writing it, or did it just um, come out that way? I, I took part in a lot of online workshops and, and sort of classes and stuff during the lockdown. Um, and I found that, as I say, on the back of the therapy, interacting with all the other poets in those workshops sort of brought out a much more honest, direct version of, of what I was doing. Um, you know, I'd had to be honest with myself during that process. Um, so I started to share them and, and I got used to the process of having feedback from other, other writers without sort of cowering in fear for what they might say next. So as a yeah. result, I, th I think I started to develop a kind of um, directness and honesty that um, I've always craved for, um, but never quite found as much as I have in this book. So. Oh, excellent, mate. Yeah, I think going to really good workshops, like, a, like over lockdown, like I used to, I've went to, I've been to a number of online workshops myself over that period, and I was at home for six months, I was, I was, I was basically not in work and it was like yeah it did something unusual to me as well and i know my wife amanda she she did a few quite a few novel ones in that period as well and it's like i think it did something to people didn't it and it's like like and we both said before that we both know writers that they just stopped stopped on mm. and i haven't recovered from it but in other cases it's forced a reflection and your book i think is really like that actually it is well, I, I think I did um, one constant uh, workshop throughout the whole last couple of years with Mark Connors and, and Jill Lambert, who, who you know. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that was brilliant because it became a lifeline because a lot of the people who were interacting on those workshops were either housebound or, or locked in or whatever the phrases were allowed to use for, for the pandemic are. Um, and we came to depend on each other. So it brought out a different kind of camaraderie almost, a different... Yeah relationship so we were able to or had to be more honest because we weren't going to put up with any more nonsense from each other we wanted to you know yeah, yeah help each yeah. other through so yeah same for, same for me as well so i've learned a lot about myself and it's i made i made some new friends off that myself people i hadn't necessarily mm. I'd known before it, it's done strange things to people straight away so now obviously onto the book now so you better talk, talk about it so otherwise we're, we're skating around the eight ideas all the time and people know it's there mark shut us out mark we mark now i'm trying to mark in a couple of weeks <laughs> matt's sort of showing us a book off there if you listen just the audio version of this now obviously tell us about where the title untanglement came from first of all then well it's an odd one because um I had a different title in mind and, and nobody else liked it apart from me. Um, <laughs> and I, I sort of stuck to it as long as I could, but eventually it got to the point where people were saying, okay, you can have it, but you really probably shouldn't. So I sat down and I went through it all and had that kind of same question that you asked at the start of um, how did you come about these poems? Mm. And and it really is just the untanglement of, of my head after 50 years on the planet, um, yeah. getting help with stuff and, and dealing with stuff and, and um, being more straightforward, you know, getting yeah. all the tangles out of your out of your head. 
So, it's, getting, it's almost like getting the cobwebs out, really, because like I said it's yeah. people may know, like me, me and you were very, very close in age. I think you were about three weeks older than me or something. It's around that Something like that, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember when we first met a couple of years ago. So I, I know I've just turned 50, and I think you were a couple of weeks before me. It was yeah. very close anyway. So that's why I kind of clicked to you straight away. I remember meeting a couple of years ago on that. I think you do, when you get to a certain stage as a writer, it's time to, feels like the real work's now beginning yeah. I, I get the feeling of reading this book. That's what you felt in this book yourself, actually, straight away. It fe- it feels like a, a a new stage, definitely. It feels like um, I described it um, to somebody in a ridiculous, uh, childish way of finishing a level of a computer game and just just going up one um, is how it felt. Um, you know, I'd, I'd learned a lot of skills along the way, and I, I'd done a lot of work but now I was hmm. going to go out and fight the bigger monsters and that's what some of these poems are yeah yeah straight away with it now I want to ask before we go on the book one quick question about this how did this book compare to your other three books then because I know you said before didn't you felt like you might have got a bit too flowery in places in the past I think I was more abstract in the past because you know in abstraction I could hide a bit um you know, I, w- I was talking about the same kind of things, but far more abstractly and, and not always connecting um, and not always getting that point across. So whilst I was, you know, enjoying the poetry of it all, um, I don't think I was communicating in the same way that I am now. Yeah, um, yeah. So hopefully that. that's that's the point of difference, that it's more available and it's more accessible to, to people without losing any of its impact. Yeah, no, I agree with you straight away or not. Now... What I want to do today, obviously, and we've talked about this previously, really, I want to talk about a number of Pacific poems in this book. Yeah. Not necessarily the best poems, but the ones I wanted to pick a selection out. But before we get on to that, I did notice before that quite a number of poems in the book all start off in the titles we've said. Mm. Now, there was clearly a meaning behind that. Okay. What I know about you by now, Matt, that wouldn't have been an accident. So, <laughs> so tell us about that. Why? Well, you there's that? about eight or nine, maybe ten, I don't know. Um, I think there was nine, nine but I, I'm right, told right. wrong. <laughs> um, and the idea was that um, the first poem in the book is, is called Said Big Me to Little Me. And it's a, it's a conversation between myself as a, an adult and myself as a child. Um, when I was having open heart surgery. So it, it's, it's quite a, um, a sort of forceful opening poem. Um, very, very but I forceful, like yeah. the idea of, it, of, of a poem being something that's reported to somebody. So said, said um, a concerned neighbour or said one person to another sort of thing, um, as, if it, as if it was a thread that ran through that you could sort of hang the rest of the poems on. Um, I'm not, I don't think I'm getting that across very clearly, but it started off with three or four, and then a lot of the other titles were changed to fit in with that, to give it ah. sort of spine through the middle of the book of, of poems that were conversations, as it were. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you completely about that. No, it does make sense. Now, the first piece I want to talk about today actually is the second piece in the book, yeah. uh, Spontaneous Forecast, which I think is a great title anyway, straight away. And obviously, I could. this is probably because I'm of, we're of the same age, and I love the nostalgia that came up in the second stanza. But like, yeah. but tell us about that then. Um, why well, it's, it's, the title's really weird, like Spontaneous Forecast. So tell us mm. about that first of all. Then. Well, 
I wanted, I mean, this was a poem that was written specifically to be the second poem in the book. It Felt wasn't like it a as poem well. that was then added in um, or mixed about. Um, it, I had that first poem about that really dark, traumatic moment in my childhood on, on the operating theatre, and I wanted a positive, happy, um, spontaneous um, childhood. Some trauma in my childhood. Most of my childhood, I was extremely lucky. I was extremely happy, and that, you know, it was very positive. So that's really what I wanted to create with that second poem. And, and that sort of feeling of spontaneity that you get as a child, um, you know, when you wake up on one of those summer mornings and you've got to do something and you know that your mates are going to be out and you're going to be doing something daft all day long and it's going to be a great lark. That was what I was trying to capture with that title. Um, and as a child, you're always looking forward. So that was the forecast. So it was just, to try and capture that childish feeling on a summer morning as yeah, a direct yeah. contrast with the first poem about such dark things. You succeeded really well with it as well. My, I love the line image, this is a general comment, I love dot dash clouds. I thought, what an image. And yeah. it, that followed quite nice with the contrast in the second stanza when you, when you went about Monster Munch and Bottles yeah. of Pop. So what was your favourite Monster Munch then? I think I was I was a beef monster munch. Oh yeah, same here, same here. Love the yellow beef packet. Beef yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's it. I mean, the there. pickled onion ones were too strong for me. <laughs> they were for me as well. I, I remember getting them when I was like, say, when I was coming off from primary school myself with them. And my mum used to hate me. She'd tell me off, saying, well, "You're not one of those pickled onion ones again at the corner <laughs> shop." Have you? <laughs> oh yeah, great, great choice that, mate. Now the second piece I want to talk about is close to the actual title of the book. Mm. But obviously not Untanglement, you don't untangle. And I can see why you've done this. So well, I want to know a bit more about this piece. What made you, if you look at the people, look at the book, you've got a fairly consistent rhythm pattern on the first five stanzas, but then it seems to break off in different direction mm. on six and seven. So tell us about that decision then for that piece. Well... It was um, a poem that's, uh, it was very much an observational poem. And um, my wife had a box of um, embroidery thread delivered during the lockdown. She mm. does, you know, while she's watching the box sets on the telly, she does her sewing and stuff just to keep her hands moving and her brain working, I think. And um, she just basically opened this box and devoured it. You know, it was like putting um, a kitten in amongst a bag of wool. It was just everywhere, you know, she, and she loved it. And it was a really enthusiastic and um, positive moment, again, in, in, in the horror of lockdown. Um, and she, she um, started off very rhythmically, unwinding mm. these threads and then winding them back around a different shape card so they would fit in her case that she has. And, and I watched her and watched her do it in this rhythm. And then at the end, when it breaks rhythm, I just said, what on earth are you doing? And she explained why. So um, that's why it just suddenly comes in as a speech at the end. Yeah. Because it I was, was watching Transfixed for hours. <laughs> yeah, I could see it with that straight away. It's like, Amanda's like that sometimes. When she, she often plays Candy Crush. And like it does yeah. something very similar. I think it's a similar effect when you're watching TV sometimes when, and if she's doing well, she starts jumping up and down a bit sometimes. Yeah, I can see it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the way you observe people when you're living with them, like you said. You know, I got yeah, it straight I mean, away. It's a love poem, really. 
Um, it's a love poem, really, in the sense that, you know, I, I, I was obsessed with watching her do this thing. And, <laughs> you know, um, you know when, it, when I've read it out loud in public, I've, I've, I've made sure people know it's about her. So, yeah, you know, well, I think it's, it's the most... Yeah, otherwise you're getting divorced in the book. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't tell, if you don't tell, mention that you'll be getting divorced pretty quick. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then we'll, the next ones. I'm having to. I'm flicking through this line on my Kindle as we speak, and obviously this one is in a different direction of the third piece, which is mm. the first one um, said in the mother's tongue. Mm. Now, I love the first line in this piece, probably because I'm partially sighted anyway, so it's like. Yeah. It, it, I felt there was it was a different tone in the book this one. So um, I wanted to talk about this one because there was I noticed on it the started off with people look at the book, I'm going blind willfully. Then a mm. few lines later, I'm going blind on purpose, and I'm going blind on by choice. And it's they all mm. seem to be really quite powerful when you use that. I was really trying to write about um the mother's tongue is, is Mother Earth. I, I mean, it's not a particularly um, dense image. It's just Mother Earth. Yeah, um, I guessed it was. I guessed wit's it was. End. You know, I, you know, I can't deal with all your denial and your ignoring what you're doing to the planet. So I'm, you know, it was just a way of, of Mother Earth spiting the rest of us um, by deliberately going blind, so she could really focus on the things that were so horrible. Um, about the way the climate and the environment and all that sort of thing is going. Um, I'm not really a sort of issues poet. I don't tend to write about straightforward politics or, or such things. But I think if, if you ignore um, the state of the planet at the moment, you know, um, it won't be long before we're all paddling in our front gardens, you know. Yeah, no, I, do, I think so. Do, doing as I told them, Amanda, a Y five O impressions, definitely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree with Yeah, oh, definitely. I wanted to show Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about a piece. I kind of guessed it was about Mother Earth. And I mm. thought it was a bit of a change in tone up for the the book it was. And I thought it was a really good piece up. And then, okay. of just a couple of pages later, talking about you don't really like politics, and then you went straight for it. Well, yeah. <laughs> So um, the next one, obviously, is I, I met him at a counter demonstration, which yeah. I think is the longest piece I've, I wanted to ask you about today. So this yeah. felt like it was something a bit more, as you said, a bit more direct. But tell us about the story behind this thing. It clearly was there's something going on in this piece. Um, I wanted to try and write some narrative poems. I wanted to tell some stories that were mm. available as stories without too much poetry over mm. the top, if you know what I mean. Um, so I wanted to write this. Um, years and years ago, I went to a demonstration and, and I did. I marched. I can't remember what we were marching against. It's one of those things from my past. Yeah, I'm sure it was important at the time. And there was a guy walking next to me who told me during the day as we walked along protesting that he was, you know, of no fixed abode. And he called himself a doorway dweller. And um, I just wanted to try and... Uh, bring that story um, to the book because I thought you know the notion of, of walking around and demonstrating is all very well for the people who've who are privileged enough to be able to go home and sleep at night in a warm bed but to actually have somebody stood next to me whose life was a damn sight harder than mine and um, come you know marching with me and and you know I wish I could remember what the march was about but um it was probably um 
something simple and, and something that was basically wrong. But he, he, he had just as much um, time and, and energy to spend shouting about what was wrong, even though his own life, um, you know, was getting a kicking from the world as well. So yeah, no, it's it made me think of when I was reading that piece there. Certainly, like as an over lockdown, and I kind of met somebody just for lockdown. I'm not seeing. I knew somebody briefly that was a diabetic like me. That was an insulin, mm. and he was homeless. So basically, I remember they seemed, made me think of that one really. Then it did because like, yeah. you think when you're on insulin and you're diabetic and you're homeless, is because the insulin has to be frozen or get chills all yeah. the time. So yeah, right. like he had a pick of a job trying to keep an eye on that. He did. I remember he got he got a church minister to look after his injections room. Could have seen one today, but it's like you do his stories like that. You don't think until you see people, you don't mm. realize how bad the situation can be for people like that. So, and, well, and yet they still have good in them, and they're still doing positive things, and yeah, you know they're still trying to make their voice heard. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. It's just it's interesting. I think sometimes you find people. That's what I thought of this piece. Was like you don't know how far people people can go to the hit rock bottom, and they're yeah. still doing good things on it. And that's why I thought of that piece there. Now, this is in contrast to the next piece I'm going to ask you about, mm. which is where you really this one caught me out. This piece I wanted to ask you about this, which is one of the shorter pieces in the book, a mm. cricket field on a Yorkshire wall. Is that right? Yeah, wall. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's this was one of the first poems that was written for this book it was um written for an anthology originally for the yorkshire uh, the high Wolds poetry festival mm. um and the high Wolds basically are the bit between east yorkshire and the north yorkshire moors um so ah, it's right um it's the sort of gently rolling stuff before you get to the really impressive yorkshire moors um and it's one of my favorite parts of the world um mm. it has a lot of gentle beauty about it and the idea of of being on a cricket field in the yorkshire wolds having a walk in the sunshine is is a wonderful feeling um and then the notion of it suddenly starting to rain um sort of i've sort of got this idea that we're all the same at some point at some level so it didn't matter who was walking in that field that day as soon as it started to rain and we were all united by the same feeling of wanting the sun to come back and I think that was part of how I felt about the lockdown and stuff. You know, those early days of the lockdown when people were united against this unknown evil before we all started remembering that we weren't supposed to be friends with each other. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a time when it brought us all together and it brought out the sort of commonality that we all have with one another. We've all got the same lives to lead in some way, so that's what that poem is really about is is somewhere beautiful suddenly soaking wet but you know still trying to find the goodness in it yeah it's it's only a very short piece people will read it like i said and i i love the fact where you have the word together straight in the middle of it and yeah. it's like it's two short four line stanzas and the word together in splitting it and i thought that was a really quite telling point to me straight away with that it was so I like yeah. those two stanzas separate each other, the words together. Almost that like brings it all together for me there. In yeah, the middle it, of the poem, not end, the end. Ends yeah. one and starts the next. Yeah. Sort of yeah. yeah, that's what I got straight down to. It was probably my favourite piece in the book, to be honest, that one it was. So. Oh, good. That's nice. That's why. So, but uh, right, so we're going to come on to lastly, one of the, mm. not the last poem in the book, one of the later ones. And yeah. this is the most, 
I, longest title of the ones I'm going to ask you about. Anyway, <laughs> even though it's not the longest piece, and it's um, looking for your reflection in every kind of winter. Now, obviously, every this one, this one was. I'm guessing was this wrong Christmas Day? This piece was it? No, no, it, it's um, it's every kind of water, not winter. Um, water? Oh my God! Yes, apologies. <laughs> I've read it wrong. No, no, it's <laughs> um, rains. It's a poem about grief, really. I mean, towards the end of the book is probably where most of the um, poems about dealing with grief are. Um, because dealing with grief has got to be about hope as well as as the, as the upset. Otherwise, we just wouldn't be able to carry on. So um, whilst this isn't the most hopeful of the grief poems, it is in, in amongst some others that have some positivity and hope in them. Um, and it's it's a poem really about never completely getting over grief. It's always with you, and and the looking for your reflection in every kind of water is is just often when you see yourself reflected back off a pond or a, a window or whatever it is, you get that feeling that there might be somebody else with you. You might you might sort of daydream about the person that you've missed. Or yeah, that's left or gone. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree because it means when you get where people know something like I said, when you get into your fifties, like both me and you are now, you mm. are going to start losing people that like, you know one way or another. Yeah, and it's and I was looking at things like, is I'm sure you agree with this. Like, it's they're always going to be there with you. Mm. I think in one way or another, and that's why I want to talk about this poem definitely with that. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's it's really just. Um, we lost a daughter um, oh. um, 20 years ago um, and um, I've only just really been able to start writing about it in the last few years and um, you know it's it's that those moments that occur when you can't do anything but think about them so you just have to learn to live with those moments and how you deal with them so to try and find some some beauty and some some positive thoughts in those moments is hard, but it's it's almost essential to keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah, I think you have to, and then if everything you do in life, and I'm always, I, that I always am a believer in. Mm. My, my writing and writing is some direction where it, it always carries on. And it'll mm. move, it takes you to the next stage of life. And I mean, if you stand still as a writer, that's when mm. the problems begin. And that's yes. why I think this has been a great book for you, as Mark, I think it's really shown to me I think well, I don't know obviously where you would go next year writing. You you could tell us that in a moment. <laughs> but yeah, I think it opens up the doors up for you if that makes sense straight away, doesn't it? So definitely yeah, I hope so. so. Now, obviously, um, I always like to ask people, first of all, what they've got coming up next. But before we do that, I know you've had your launch recently as well. And mm. I know you had a support of one of my favourite poets actually living, poets Helen Mort. Now you were yeah. telling me off camera for that. How did you meet Helen in the first place? Well, I met Helen originally through um, a firm of poets who used to knock about in, in Wakefield and Leeds, um, Matt Abbott and... and uh, yeah. John, Dar John, Dar John Darwin was one, wasn't yeah, he? So, yeah, I know, yeah. I know John. Yeah, and uh, Genevieve Walsh and, yeah, all those people. Um, but Helen Moore came to Hull with them on one occasion and, and I, uh, she pronounced a word. Um, she did a poem about Hull um, and, and the um, Trollerman and uh, Lillian Balocca, who was the woman who protested for the rights of Trollman's safety and stuff. And, and Helen um, pronounced the word, uh, the, the place Hessel as Hessel. And, and I knew that I shouldn't say anything 
but I had to tell her that she got it wrong. So I marched up as a poet who'd never been on a stage before and said, excuse me, Helen Moore, <laughs> um, you pronounced it wrong. And so I've kind of made a contact with her then and then every now and again, I've bumped into her along the way. And then in the last sort of two or three years, we've done, um, she's helped me out with writing some of this book, actually. She's been uh, an extremely um, generous mentor um, along the way. So yeah. Um, a lot, along with uh, Mark Connors and Jill Lambert, the, the three of them have, have really been there to support me along the way. Oh, good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Like, people are wondering about Helen Moore. I'm familiar with her first book, Division Street, which is one of my favourite poetry books. You told me before, our third book's out soon. I've got the second one. I'm not as familiar with the second one, I'll be honest. But I do love Division Street, definitely. Mm. And I look forward to chatting to Mark and Jill in a few weeks' time, mm. Spoken Label. So, now, obviously, Mark, I was like, oh, Mark, I've got Mark now. I've got to say Matt. <laughs> tell, tell, tell them, well, I'm not very good at changing names of people. I get mixed up. <laughs> but okay, Matt, um, what plans do you have next then? Have you got any sort of creativity projects on the go? Yeah, I'm, I'm going back to something with some of the whole poets that um, I've known for a while. Um, where We've got a, a sort of performance group, um, which has gone before by the name of Gob Almighty. Which um, includes um, Peter Nags, Mike Watts, um, Dean Wilson, um, and Jim Higo, um, which are you know four big names in in terms of whole poetry, um, and we're, we're hopefully going to book some gigs in the next few weeks to do in August and September, with a view to trying to. Well, good luck, mate. Definitely with that. So fingers crossed. So, have you got any ideas for your fifth book yet? Possibly brewing or. I've no idea at this moment in time. <laughs> um, every other one has been every two years. All all the previous four have been split by two years, but I think this one might be a bit longer till the next one comes. Well, it, it, my philosophy is it'll arrive when it arrives, doesn't it? So yeah, naturally. Absolutely. Now, obviously, if people want to get hold of a copy of this book and, and find out more about you, where are the best going to conclude with? The best place to go is my website, which is, um, and I'm going to do the advert now, is <laughs> www.mattpoet.com. So it's M-A-T-T poet, P-O-E-T dot com. Um, and um, books are for sale on there. There's videos on there. There's all kinds of bits and pieces. Um, come and have a look, really. Yeah, it's a great website. Well worth your time, guys. So we'll wrap up this part one now because I want to get, we're trying to get time to get Matt to go all six of these pieces in the second <laughs> half. So this might be a bit, a bit of a mad gallop here, but it's been great, mate. Thank you, mate. So let's just see you all in all been well. As I always say, two shakes of the dice. Spoken, mate. Hi, guys. Yes, still here with the wonderful Matt. My time to shut up now and let Matt read all six of these pieces he did for us, talked about Canada before. Over to you, mate. Thank you. Um, this first one um, is the poem Spontaneous Forecast, and this is a, a poem about childhood. Awake at sparrow fart, windows open wide, sky filled to the brim with a missing shade of blue, lined with dot dash clouds enough to take the edge off. Wilco will be there, and Aid and Manky Bob, with bags of monster munch and bottles of pop. We'll swing out in the unspoiled air on the new rope over the beck. Excellent start that. I should have asked you before, what was your favourite pop as a child? Um, oh, 
I'm a dandelion and burdock kind oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was that myself, yeah. What tremendous mm. stuff, yeah. So definitely that one. Then we used to read, we used to drink, drink a lot of iron brew back in those days as well. So, oh, yeah, I'm going back now. So. <laughs> anyway, mate, let's get you moving straight on, mate. On to your number two, mate. Okay, this next one's called Untangle. And um, as I say, it was about watching my wife open a box of embroidery threads that was delivered during the lockdown. The woman I love is thrilled by this arrival, this box as big as the one memories fill. It's a third full of threads spitting out colours. She wolfs down her tea, begins her intricate mine. Each skein she transfers to the sofa looks orange. Her fingers deft unwind lime green to the floor. From the bag in her lap, she pulls a white cutout card. By some sleight of hand winds the fastened red line. The fat-wound bobbin finds its place in her case. Sure that it's home, she makes the same moves again. Why do threads come in skines, not a box of fat bobbins? Because winding the threads, the best bit by far. Oh, you know, I've got to say, Matt, with that one, it's even more tender hearing you read that in person <laughs> than actually. It's, it's really quite heartfelt on the page, but it's, sometimes it shows when you read a poem out. How it, yeah, different tone it brings it when you're reading it. That's beautiful, truly beautiful, oh. mate. So, thank you. On to number three, then. So, um, this is, um, as I say, an environmental poem, um, and the mother's tongue that is referred to is Mother Earth. So, this is said in a mother's tongue. I'm going blind willfully to avoid seeing the colours bleed out. The edges blur and blunt and soften gold too often exchanged for darkness. I'm going blind on purpose. No eyes will ever see anything as beautiful as the girl by the river naming flies on a seagull's corpse. I'm going blind by choice. I want a smell, a sense of smell turned to eleven. So I might inhale the end of days and detect every atom of humanity on my soft mucous membranes and in my throat like tea leaves, on my epiglottis, as the same dust the watchman cleans with a brush from the workings of the timepiece. Excellent, oh wow, wow. <laughs> Beautiful stuff that, mate, yeah. I love the, when you did it live then, mentioned about the repetition there, it seemed to give a bit more punch as well, that actually did live and also. I, I, I do like to write, um, as if I'm reading out loud. Um, yeah, you can see. Make sure that they were, yeah. It definitely um, is an oral, it's an oral poem as well as a page one. That is yeah. good balance, aren't yeah. they? So, good stuff. Right, on to the, on from some protest, from the subtle protest to direct protest now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this is a, a story um, based largely on, on an encounter I had with um, a guy of no fixed abode at a demonstration. This is, one of those poems where the title goes straight into the first verse. I met him at a counter demonstration as the police corralled us in an alley two streets away from where the plastic fascists marched in unruly columns, making no sense and doing so loudly. He caught me catching his eye because he looked the very spit of a lad I'd been to school with. I looked away, but he came over in his odd brown suit and parka his frayed black Converse boots. Sharing my cheese and pickle, we talked for hours that day. Between the chants and protest songs, he showed me photos of his boy and the wife whose cut all ties. 
As the hours dragged on, he seemed to come alive. Could be worse, he said, as I sat on the tarmac soothing my feet. Could be bombing our villages, like in Syria or Sarajevo. He laughed as I swallowed my reply. Offered me a hand to stand, and when the police let us move, I asked if he needed a lift. He said I don't have far to go. And when I turned to say goodbye to make some joke about being kettled, he was lifting cardboard in a doorway, making sure his sleeping bag was dry. That's got such such a good last line, that one I was about it really has. Like it was like, I think he really brought home the power of that last line to like about sleeping bag, making sure his sleeping bag was dry. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant stuff, mate. Absolutely Thank powerful, you. mate. Okay, now we're on to something completely different now to put Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one, as I say, one of the first poems that was written for the book. And um, it, it's just uh, about how we're all the same, despite being different, really. It's called A Cricket Field on a Yorkshire Wold. We might stand like unbaled stumps in a line in a May deluge in the mid-afternoon of things together. We might expect a slant return of sun and in expectation renew all that is common. Yeah. Oh, typical that then. I was just thinking, oh, the stances are going for, and he stops about, no, he hasn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it really is that short, yeah. Yeah, just, I think sometimes it's easy to get enraptured with words sometimes. That's why I lost, I lost the train of thought no. for two seconds. <laughs> anyway, mate, fantastic. Okay, I'd said before, Probably my favourite piece in the book, that. So, okay, we're on to the last piece now already, somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, they are quite short, but they're, uh, you know, um, I don't have a very long attention span, so that's why I have to write short stuff. Um, this last one is a poem about grief and how grief is always with you, but it doesn't always have to be um, something that overpowers you. It can be something that you can win against in the end. This is called Looking for Your Reflection in Every Kind of Water. I will go back to my river on Christmas Day, when the drumming of the factories beats sparse retreats with no other sound against the shore. And I will stand on the seawall at Easter, looking down through the spray and chemicals to where the sand, the stones and children play beneath writhing brine black moshing waves. And I will know to stand still against the wall beside the dribbling fountain in the middle of town where mismatched Valentine souls chew tongues and kid themselves on something lives for them here. And I will stand beside the beefstock boil of the mighty wharf where it washes prints from stolen stones, sends the culprits eastward. And I will throw mushroom caps at the seabirds who invade so far inland on their mission to steal our breath. Thank you. Fantastic, mate. Definitely well worth a round of applause out there. Brilliant <laughs> stuff, mate. Been a tremendous, mate. Definitely has a bit. It's been great to catch up with you today. Like I said, it's sometimes a common myth when you get people on spoken label. It's like I get them on once, I never speak to them again. In your case, I was I, w- I wanted to get you back on again, and it's been a great time to get to get you on today, mate. So Thanks, it's much appreciated, mate. Well, I'd love to have you on again in the future, mate. And who knows, I may get a chance to watch you actually read in person some point on the line. Yes. <laughs> That's why I've been all tremendous, mate. So 
hang around anyway, Max. I do need to quick, quick chat to you off microphone anyway. So okay, well, it's been a pleasure, mate. Hopefully it won't be three years before we see you on air again, mate. Definitely. Thank so. you. <laughs> right, guys and girls. As Don Callis, Impact, formerly of Impact Wrestling, says, stay safe and stay Spoken, on. Mate.